like I still like to play. I'm still in the the um, Berlin Splitter Orchestra because I, I've been working with them for like 12 years and it's always super problematic and, and it's also like testing over and over again. How will this happen? What's going to happen? Um, I do work with another cellist, um, Judith Hammond, and we work very closely together on phenomena. Like, so we, we actually, we played on the Acusmodium at Sonic X a while back. Um, yeah, so that's a, a great project. So yeah, I still do stuff, definitely. Just less than I used to. I don't get up and play improv gigs very much, depending on if there's somebody I play with, yes. So my installation work is taking over. And I'm happy about that because that's really the research work for me. And because that has been happening, I kind of enjoy playing cello a bit more than I did before. It's like, so I'm happy to do a solo cello once in a while. That's what I'm saying. If it's amplified, if it's with specific speakers, you know, that's fine. <laughs> and I, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's somehow part of my practice or is my practice. Anthea Caddy is a Tasmanian-born and now Berlin-based experimental cellist and sound artist who explores projected sound energy through spatial practices that highlight acoustic and physical phenomena. She has a background in media arts and electroacoustic improvisation and is currently a PhD candidate under the supervision of media historian Douglas Kahn. Her work is an ever-expanding practice from the vibrational body of the cello into multiple amplification systems that harness and project sound energy. Anthea's ongoing research into long-throw sound projection in recent years has led her to develop a set of parabolic speakers in collaboration with artist and designer Mia Dragladovich and the Spatial Media Art Labs in Rotterdam. Throwing beams of sound up to 3 kilometers long and 60 centimeters in circumference, this technology broadens the usual boundaries of installation and performance spaces, expanding the sonic possibilities of resonant architectural bodies and outdoor environments. In this podcast, Anthea Caddy walks us through her journey from playing cello in rock bands as a teenager to her ongoing research into projected sound energy. She explains her long-term research on directional speakers and the results of the iterations and testing of the parabolic speakers. She also talks about documentation and about the difficulties of approaching large-scale sound performance. I actually, I mean, I started cello when I was 12. So I, I got handed a cello and I played it and I played it in the kids orchestra. And at some point I stopped playing it, but then I kind of fell in with this. I'm from Tasmania, which is like an island underneath Australia, slightly different culturally. Um, at the time it was the late nineties and there was quite a strong underground rock scene. And everyone was kind of into, you know, cellos and rock music at that point. It was like PJ Harvey and all that stuff. So I um, got dragged by the local rock dudes to come and like play amplified cello with them. And I was little, I was like 14. And then after that, I kind of stopped learning classical music and then um, kept playing around with these rock dudes a bit and then kind of stopped and I had a couple of years break and then um I decided I wanted to go back to sound and started listening to like a lot of mostly French electroacoustic stuff like I got very obsessed with Bernard Parmigiani god I can't even remember at the time who else but yeah so I I, I met someone who showed me all of this this um I suppose, alternative music style stuff at that time. It was really like, well, what is this? And, and then I decided to start in um, the sound course, uh, which is a media arts course, was a media arts course at the time at the RMIT University in Melbourne, um, which was under, 
um, Philip Samatsis, who is um, yeah, a sound recordist, a field recordist. So um, I actually learned my, my background is actually electroacoustic sound. And at the time it was like the early 2000s and the, there were a lot of people working with software and, and wanting to do production. And, you know, we, we did lots of field recording and we did, you know, we were really dealing with media at that time. And, um, and, you know, there was a studio and there was a lexicon reverb and all this stuff. And I was like, ah, I'm not sure that I want to work with software at this point. And I did, I learned it, but I, I then wasn't so interested. So I spent a lot of time just using my cello as a sound, basically a sound source, as I had learned within this electroacoustic, you know, French electroacoustic stuff that, that um, I could use it to, you know, kind of abstract. So I spent a lot of time going to different spaces with my instrument and recording what I found like so reflections so I went to an anechoic chamber I went to I went downstairs to the physics chamber which I think was like nine nine seconds I went outside I went out into the countryside I recorded in a dam wall and I used different you know that was like when you could use a sound field mic so we were also working in multi-channel you know 5.1 so my actual work, my practice actually comes out of like not really performing. It comes from like actually um, recording and then listening back. My output was basically stereo, big speakers <laughs> for some time. It then became like multi-channel. So, and then I moved to Europe and then I kind of fell in more with this improvised music stuff in in Berlin and it took me a while to understand how I mean to be really honest how that instrument kind of worked non-amplified because <laughs> I was so used to like the my all of my work was you know working with it was also also I spent a lot of time working with Thembi Sadel who is a, a electroacoustic I spent most of my time working with electroacoustic um, composers or artists um, and and kind of, yeah, basically fusing. The, the, the cello was never my instrument as, a, as a, just a single instrument. It was always connected with amplification space. So, yeah, I spent, and then I spent quite a few years trying to figure out how to play the cello as an acoustic source, which took me a while. <laughs> very good at it because I would spend I spent a lot of time playing extremely like extremely um quiet tones that I would have been able to pick up on a microphone that of course you wouldn't hear um but then I realized basically I well I I would always kind of amplified myself so my yeah so the practice kind of went on to then me amplifying myself in a space trying to find a way to kind of create a space that I was used to from working with all these different acoustic spaces. And, um, and so I, I started working with like four speakers and like uh, uh, microphones, like I understand microphones. So I spent a lot of time using different microphones like accelerometers and blah, 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 to kind of find how to, yeah, represent the space that I had represented before from other previous um, tests, <laughs> recordings. <laughs> Um, so yeah, then I started doing a lot of solo stuff, very amplified. So that went on for a while and then I got a bit bored and I was like, I need to find a way to like go beyond this kind of immersive, um, not even multi-channel because it was generally only two, like two channels, um, this way of like an acoustic source and four electroacoustic sources. I'm sick of being in the proscenium and, I, and I'm also sick of this kind of immersive sound. Like I wanna be able to project in a different way. So, and yeah, also I just wanted to do more research. 
So I decided to start a PhD with Douglas Kahn in, um, in Sydney, which I haven't finished because of the pandemic and because I have a very small child. <laughs> so, but, so I started a PhD and then I, um, and, and then I kind of was able to go back to a bit more of the way I thought about things, which was essentially like a, a media arts way of approaching things like media, what do I do with it? You know, object. Um, what was interesting about Doug was, and, and really great, was that he was able to kind of articulate um, how I intuitively felt about signals, you know, that things traveled in, that, that energy, and I suppose maybe I'm jumping a bit here, but that, that, um, that sound, I mean, obviously the cello is a resonant box, I always treated it as like a, you know, just a, a box, like a sound object. I could make, I'm not even going to use the word sound object, so it's not exactly correct. But yeah, a sounding object, let's say, uh, that I could then in ways manipulate. So, um, so I went into Doug and was kind of like, I have this thing. I have this relationship with sound traveling through speakers. I have this relationship with sound acoustically coming up. I have this relationship with an environment. And a lot of my earlier work wasn't in um, performance places or like even in art galleries. I was like, how, what do I do with all of this kind of straight, like this information that I can't find a way to connect or maybe I don't have the confidence to or, and and so we started talking about like uh, like energy and which of course is what i was talking about like following energy propagation and how this could actually you know be manipulated and move and then through this kind of th this way of of thinking i was able to kind of drop a whole bunch of information that was kind of stopping me from being able to do things and yeah, so in fact now I, I find it difficult to see that there's like the, the idea of sound art because it's sonic arts, you know, it's like the definition of like, I, and this is where I very, really agree with, with Douglas Kahn in the sense of like, you know, it's, it's energies in the arts. Where does one energy begin and where does another, it's, it's all, yeah, it's all audible. We're all, we're, we're you know, but it, like we, we can't. I, I don't I don't like defining my work as as sound because it was so it's so physiological like it's just like you know there's just energy moving around and, and I'm getting a lot of at the moment you're getting it but it's still there other stuff is happening so that was really very helpful for me so I got to drop the music stuff I got I got to drop the electroacoustic stuff. I got to drop all of it and then I could just follow this this propagation about of like well what's going on here it's coming from me I'm at the beginning of this of essentially a, a system uh, you know an open system that's then letting things come in and in like all the way around so then I started looking how I could expand that system because that's what I wanted to do I was you know thinking it's 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 these these speakers are great, just normal PA speakers. They do a lot of stuff, but I want to do something else. Like I, you know, I was kind of interested in like researching how these other other speakers might might work. So I started looking into directional speaker technologies because the cello, of course, is it radiates. It's quite. It's not directional at all. Maybe if I'd been playing the trumpet, I <laughs> but I don't really define myself as a musician. So <laughs> anyway, so I was trying to find a way to, to get the, the acoustic instrument sound and the, the electroacoustic sound and the space, try to find a way to somehow control the energy flow a little bit more than I had been before.
I mean, to be honest, I was also, I also felt really like kind of a bit of a confused artist as like I was supposed to be an improviser, but I kind of wasn't, but I can improvise very well. <laughs> but like, oh, I was supposed to be this. So I, I, I had more understanding of the people who were working with like electroacoustic music and media than I did with the musicians at times, because that's where my knowledge is from. So it was just like really confusing. <laughs> it was great to have someone who could apply a bunch of theory um, to an, to work that crossed a lot of artistic genres. It was so great because I think that's what I had been thinking and just not able to articulate because I'm not a, a theorist. I'm, I mean, yeah, the, 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 for just being able to like define the system, it saved my life because I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I not? Doug was really helpful because, yeah, he understand, he understood sound or energy like I did and I really like if you start defining stuff as energy rather than sound it really helps to just like then you can kind of feel a bit more free like I'm not a sound artist I mean it's written there but I prefer to walk work in the sonic arts but <laughs> you know like it really helped me Started, um, I have a very close friend who works at the Aarhus University in um, Denmark, who also works in the media arts section. And we, I visited there and did some talks and yes. And then we started testing the directional speaker technology they had there. And then I started researching all about directional speaker technology, which was pretty new at that time. Like the, the stuff I originally started looking at was um, the hyperdirectional like array. So it uses a, a, a carrier wave that, I mean, in the most basic sense to make it really descriptive, that kind of grabs the other waves and throws them. And it's very harsh. But it was it was like a laser, like and of course you had like a limited frequency band, so you would just be using like I think it didn't go, it really didn't really go under four hundred hertz. So we tested them out, and I hated them <laughs> because they were quite aggressive to the ear. Like the carrier frequency, you can't hear it, but it's like there, and it's quite damaging and. So yes, they, they, they worked as directional technology, but I didn't want to use them because of that. And there was frequency issues, like, oh, I can only use these higher frequencies. So it cuts out a bunch of other stuff, but of course it's a bit like Lego. You can like fit it all up together with other things, like how, how to approach like a, say an audible, audible um, frequency range to the human ear, like how, how to manipulate that and get it so that it would be spatial, I suppose. So I tested those and I was a bit like, nah. <laughs> I tested a bunch of stuff. I can't even remember what I tested, but I did a lot of research. We tested Altec speakers, um, um, which were also like these big horn speakers that were kind of interesting, but again, not directional enough for me. And then I, yeah, I tested these things we were all inside. So it's reflecting off walls. It's, you know, it's doing this thing. We're back in the, we're back in a room. I mean, let's like broaden the terminology, like broaden the de definition of proscenium. We're always in a proscenium here. We're either in this room or, so I was kind of like, man, I don't even, I don't even want to be in this room <laughs> anymore. I want to make, I want to expand. I want to be, 
I want to be able to throw things like really far. And I think it's also because I'm from Tasmania, which is quite empty of people. And there's like lots of mountains and lots of hydroelectricity dams. So I'm always looking at these big structures and hearing like reflections from them or whatnot. And I was up with Doug um, in the Blue Mountains where he lives. And we were at the, um, the cliffs, the big cliffs. And I was like, man, I could just, you could reflect you could reflect something within the cliffs. And then I was thinking to myself, oh yeah, because I did all this reflection checking when I, when I was in like the dam wall doing these um, um, sound field recordings years and years and years ago. So I kind of understand how large reflection happens. So I was sitting there thinking, how could I expand this? <laughs> like, how can I, how can I do this? So I looked into Altec speakers, I looked into hyperdirectional arrays, and then I started looking in, into longer throws. So I started looking into stadium horn technology and, and yeah, the history of it was very interesting, super interesting. I had a great time. I did way too much research. <laughs> and so I eventually fell upon these parables, like, Oh, parabolic technology. It's not new technology. It's acoustic. I mean, you know, those, those parabolic mirrors, it's everywhere. I mean, that's how people get their radio. I mean, their television, you know, electromagnetic. So, and I, yeah, I came upon it like completely, like it didn't have anything to do with the electromagnetic research and work that, that Doug had been doing. It was completely different. And I just, I was just like, Oh, okay. I don't even remember when I figured it out, but I, I realized that I could, yeah, use a parable with a driver and it would throw sound. Um, so I then went and did a bunch of research and found that there was a Maya SB1 speaker that I had assumed was just av like available. I mean, obviously not like super available, but you were able to get it. Anyway, so I'm still researching at this point because when you start getting into this very specific technology, it takes a while to actually get to the point where you can actually test it, you know. And from my point of view, I like to do lots and lots of research beforehand. So I, I kind of can not, well, I know what I'm doing essentially, that it will work. Um, so I... I was expecting that I might be able to find one of these things. Obviously not in Australia. I was in Australia at the time, I think. So I figured that we'd be able to find one in Europe. Then I met someone who said he could build one for me, who was also excited by this technology, a sound engineer, a very, very great sound engineer, actually. So um, we started out to build this thing, this parable. And I was kind of wondering like, how long does it throw? And he said, well, we could get it up to this. We could get it up to that. We could get it up to, you know, 1.6 kilometers and we could do this. And, and actually this is interesting because later on when we put it on at the Hakka V, it became very clear how far it could throw. But so, um, and so he started to build one for me, but then he got really sick and wasn't able to do it. And so I was like, oh, here I, here I am, I've started from the beginning again and I don't know anyone else who's going to build this thing for me. And then I had a baby for a bit, but I was still really pushing, like how would I be able to do this? Because it had been like years, at that point it had been years in the process. I was obsessed with building these parable speakers <laughs> or finding some. And then Sonic Axe, um, got in touch with me saying that they had this um, um, kind of media building, device building research money um, through Rotterdam and that did I want to build the, the speakers or go through the process of building like a, a device um, with them and I was like, thank God, because <laughs> it just fell at the exact right time.
So Sonic X, so yes, the Spatial Media Laboratories project started. And so then I had some support to actually um, research where these parables might be and have a, an engineer and yeah, I, I just basically have the, the artistic support I needed to get a, such a large scale project done because it was actually quite a bit of work. I didn't realize, I mean, obviously I did. So, so, um, we started by trying to find these SB ones, which were the Maya speakers. Not even the SB2. The SB2 has like beam steering. We hadn't even got to that. I tried, everyone was a bit dubious about my plan to begin with. I'm not going to name names, but they were like, really? Like, you think you can, this isn't going to work. No, it's not going to work. And I was like, no, it's going to work. I really, I really felt like for once in my life, I was going to say it like, no, this is going to happen. We are going to do this. But this is because I had this support from Gideon, for example, who was like, yes, you know, she's going to do it. So anyway, so we did this research and called up Maya and went searching for like these, these SB1s. There were none in Europe. They had six, I think, for sale on a, an English website secondhand. And we, I called them and they were like, no, 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 they're in Canada. Do you want to test one? And I said, well, are you going to bring one? Are you, are you going to test them all? There were, I don't know how much they cost each. I can't remember. I think it was like at least 15,000 for one. I think maybe more. I can't remember. So they were very expensive. And it became clear. They said, oh yeah. So this is where this whole Celine Dion thing comes in. They were like, oh yeah, well, Celine Dion was touring with one because of course it's stadium sound. So that you're looking that they, they, they were used to really project like sound clearly over a, a large, large, large space. So, so it's, yeah, Celine Dion toured with two. Andre Rio, <laughs> the violinist also toured with them. So it was stadium technology they were using alongside a whole range of other speaker technology um, that, <laughs> anyway, so there were none. There was six in Canada. We weren't going to be able to get them. We didn't have like a hundred thousand euros to access them. So it became clear that, you know, they weren't around and the SB2, we didn't never, we never found like, I, I don't know if that was their prototype. I mean, it's on the internet and maybe now it's around this beam steering stuff, which we actually figured out how to do I mean their technology is different I don't know but yeah so the parable we built or the uh the prototype we built yeah we decided to build one after this we're like okay well we have to build one Mio's like okay we'll do it so Mio and I did the first prototype in in Zagreb just a um satellite dish that he found on the side of the road <laughs> and we put some metal kind of arms and just a driver and it was crazy because the minute you put your head in this parable it works you know so it was clear it was going to work from that moment on like it's obvious it's, it's just like so obvious I mean so so we made this parable test and it worked and we tested it outside the prototype worked extremely well um it through we tested it along a kind of flood bank outside of Zagreb I think we walked pretty far. I don't know how far it was, but I walked as far as I could to like really, you know, with, with this sound, obviously the lower frequencies disappear more than the upper frequencies. So, so I, I was pretty amazed at how far it would throw because I also got sponsored by another company who were also using stadium. Like it was all about, you know, being able to be heard. So there's a lot of like, um, announcement technology. So these guys sent me a speaker that was uh, also uh, an array um, that I tested on the Temple Hofer Feld, like the, the old airport. That threw across the whole airport, but it was only the higher frequencies. That was actually a super interesting speaker because it 
kept its it kept its full range or what I would argue is full range like you know pop music that kind of stuff I can't remember what we played on it we played like some pop music we just tested it on my street initially and you got the same like volume so the frequencies were held for about 200 meters and then they dropped then you only got the high ones which is crazy technology I mean it's an excellent speaker so we tested that up on the yeah okay so so within this within this um spatial um media laboratories I actually tested a number of different speakers because we were trying to find the best way to like really get like directional sound but the directional sound I wanted had to be really really long <laughs> it wasn't and it had to also be much more spatial I didn't want like the the speaker the speaker that I had that I was just talking about it was great but it was too messy for me like the radiation became like it was radiated. So we had it on the airport, we tested it, it kind of radiated and it was everywhere. And the highs went forever. So, I mean, I was thinking, well, I could do it here where I would just do one, two, three, four, five, every 200 meters, you could do it, it's a great thing. But this is not what I'm looking for exactly. What I'm looking for is a beam of sound. I want this, this, this spatiality. I want to be able to feel the the energy which then we start this is this is where you start to kind of expand this idea of it's not even expanding it because sound is obviously we're feeling it so i don't even know why anyway so so you was looking for this this specific thing that could just throw and be in the be in the atmosphere be in the air without us having to even see a speaker you know or know where the where the point a of where it's coming from you know it's just I want to throw it off an island onto the mainland which I can do because I've got the length anyway so so um we tested that too so we tested a whole bunch of different technology and then we and then I said no we're building these this power bowls is the way we have to go and Mio agreed at that point because the other stuff was just just not right for that specific artistic project that I wanted. Great for other artistic projects in the future, but haven't got to that. So, um, yeah, so we built the prototype, it worked. And then we were like, okay, Mio was like, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna build the proper one. I'm gonna, yeah. So he built it and he is actually probably the one to really talk to about how he built it, but it was built out of fiberglass because he had a friend who was, who had a, like was building boats. <laughs> so he actually made a mold of the speaker. Um, so we can make more and more. So we, yeah, so he built two that we could be broken apart as pizzas that were really big. So they're extremely powerful, those ones. Like he built them bigger than I thought we were gonna build them, which was actually quite excellent. So I came back um, and we, started testing the actual one he had built, which was like insane. So then you started getting these reflections upon reflections, room reflections over room reflections. And so we tested it inside in a big club, which it then kind of took over all the different rooms because there was like open doors everywhere. Then we tested it outside. It was just like, like went forever. It's brilliant. And um, then we had this deadline with um, the Sonic Axe Festival to put it on. And we really, like, he got it done, like, the week before. <laughs> so we actually showed up to the Stedelijk foyer, not really having used the speakers, you know. Like, it was just, like, on the fly, like, sat there and I had to do a concert with them. And, of course, like, I didn't. At the time, I hadn't really got to the point of like how we were going to use these. It wasn't really that, I mean, it wasn't the, the kind of input wasn't so, I didn't really care. <laughs> I just wanted the, the output, the, yeah, the projection to see what happened. So yeah, we, our first, our first test was at, in the foyer of the Stedelijk, um, a week before the pandemic hit. <laughs> it was very fortunate. 
And, you know, we, we spent a couple of days in there trying to figure out how to use it. And it, it it's like, you can't, when you start using this kind of sound technology, all the stuff that you presume you have as an assumption about how things work, it doesn't work like that. Like, oh, you can't put, I mean, yes, you can put in like a normal, okay, let's, for example, we use the cello as a good, you know, uh, it's like, I can play these notes and it will go through, but the way the sound works, the way the sound reflects is completely different. So um, you really have to start thinking outside of how you were thinking before, which I have always found amazing. This is where like going into an anechoic chamber when I was 20 was so fascinating because you really couldn't do what you would have done before. You recorded in a different way. So I'm back here to my, you know, where I came from, like how, how do I navigate this, this sound energy? Like, what do I do with it? How does it behave? How is it, how is this behavior? Like, how am I, what am I going to do with it? which I find fascinating because these speakers, obviously any space you put them in, they're going to have a completely different behavior. I'm starting to, after like, this is now the sixth um, setup. I'm starting to kind of get an idea, but still not really. I'd like to spend a couple of months just sitting there. Okay, so we set them up at the Stedelijk and of course we set them up and then we had the cello there and I had to perform. So everyone's just standing looking at the cello, even though Lucas had said, hey, there's these two parabolic speakers. But the, the way the satellite works is it was very um, strange, like how, where you could, you couldn't, we had to, they had to put in, Sonic Axe had to put in a plan of where the speakers were going to be set up, where, was, where I was going to be set up. So there was no possible way to move them around. We couldn't like position them in the space how we wanted. So basically it ended up, it's like the thing that I really didn't want. We had two parabolic speakers, which kind of represents stereo for me, which I really didn't want. I was like, no more stereo. I'm out of stereo. I end up, of course, two parabolic speakers isn't stereo, but it looks like it. So it was representing this stereo image with a cello in the middle. And I was just like, shit, how did I get back to this? After all this, how did I get back to this? So yeah, in, we did two concerts and the first one was a beautiful spatial thing. Of course, everyone's just sitting right in front of me going, well, I don't hear anything. Because the speakers at, at the Stellic, the speakers are so defined, like the beam is so defined that if you're not standing in it, you're not gonna hear it. <laughs> very funny situation so the first one we did was the one that we planned it was this spatial thing I was literally just playing some stuff that would actually just you know um, highlight the space so it was the speakers that were like the the instrument not me I was just making sound to go through them you know so, but of course everyone just looked at me <laughs> stood right in front of me like well yeah so then I had to do a basically like a proper cello concert in the second round. Jesus Christ. After that, I was like, I'm not doing this live. <laughs> and I'm definitely not putting two speakers next to me. I was like, no way. Like how, like how hard is it to, <laughs> How can I escape this? You know, you can't. Anyway, <laughs> so. And then we set them up like a bit later. Oh yeah, then the pandemic happened. So everything just shut down. Speakers were packed up. They were down in my cellar. Didn't pick them up. And then Dvorka um, from Container, um, they had a festival and invited us. So we drove in a car. <laughs> with Anna, the producer from Sonic Axe, um, my child, who must have been two, um, and a nanny, like 11 hours to Zagreb or 12 hours from Berlin with these speakers. Couldn't stop through Austria, you know, it was like this crazy pandemic period. Got there, we set them up in this car park outside of the Tesla Museum, and it was great, because like finally they were outside. But it was again this live, live cello performance. Um, because I had, I really hadn't had any time with 
the pandemic stuff to like do anything else or think. So we did that. We blew a driver by accident because it rained. <laughs> and then the, the cables got mixed up. So one channel was not there. And But yeah, it became clear when we had these speakers outside how powerful they were again and how we could really use them. And I was really happy they were outside. I got in, I, I, I had a meeting with Jan Werner, Jan St. Werner from Mouse on Mars, who's also very interested in um, projections. Um, we, I was telling him about these speakers I built and, and the other research I did. And, and anyway, he got invited to do a festival called The Sound of Distance at the Haus der Kulturen der Welt in Berlin and invited me and my speakers. So we set up the speakers out the front of the Harkavi, which is basically like the Harkavi is like in the center of Berlin, right next to actually Angela Merkel's office at that time when she was still there. So, um, and it, it, the building is, I suppose, 1960s? should know this but but it's like it looks like a massive clam so I went to do a sound test I took the the speakers um, and did spend an afternoon like setting up around the Hakavi where I you know just figuring out where I could put the speakers it sort of ended that the, that the best spot was at, like right at the front in the clam I had one speaker kind of hitting the clam and then another speaker hitting the clam roof because the alcove was like rounded and the sound was insane. I like I had a I, I, I made a generative piece um, using very simple software that just basically ran through different files, random files um, for an installation because I didn't want to perform anymore with the speakers. I was done with that. In fact, I was done with the cello with that. But then in the end, I knew how the cello worked through them. So I recorded a whole bunch of different things and then used that as the input for the speakers for the um, Hakavi. And it was fascinating that the, the parables did their thing. They, they sent their beams and then the beams refracted and reflected and the whole of that Hakavi building became like a massive speaker. Even the base, like the curator, the main curator there said they were at the back because the it's all along the, the river, the spray there. And she said it sounded like there was a ship coming down the spray. <laughs> it was, I, I can't describe how big that sound was. That these like these speakers had just like just completely well. First of all, the cello was completely abstracted by this point; it didn't matter. And so they also threw this sound all the way across the tear garden, like the. So it, I don't know how far that sound was running. I could never have figured it out, but it, it was traveling a very long way because that building had just like doubled the kind of. It was a massive resonator, so. It just like it just kept going. And I was amazed. I was like, this is insane. This is why I built these things, you know. And um so that installation went up. The first couple of days 
it didn't go up because there was a gale warning. The zoo shut down, down everything shut down. So the first two nights they were supposed to be installed, they didn't, they, they weren't because, um, yeah, it was too windy and they would have blown off. Anyway, so it happened. There was a couple of things that were super fascinating about that particular setup because in one way I would have liked to have said to the audience, don't go a kilometre away into the Tiergarten or go walk, like, you don't need to see the speakers. The speakers are not interesting. I don't want anyone to see the speakers, actually. I mean, they're beautiful things, but it's not why I built them. I didn't build them. Like, I wanted them to go through forests and people be like, is there something there or is there not something there? I don't even care. There's information traveling around you. <laughs> it doesn't need to be like some kind of mega performative, like sound to be heard. But yes, at the Hakavi, the way those speakers worked, the test of that speaker was that you could hear everything. You couldn't just hear one channel, you could hear multiple iterations. So on the top of like when you walked around where the actual speakers were, you basically moved in and out of different rooms, which you get a bit here at the HEM, but it was like kind of a meta version where you're getting numbers of phenomena on top of that. Yeah, so it's it just like the sound was just completely immersive. <laughs> it was hilarious. So yeah, and then the more you work, walked back, the more you picked up different frequencies traveling kind of past you in a way um, towards the tear garden. So I think that was my most successful throw at this point, <laughs> but also because it was outside. It's, it's like, I, I, that's what I wanted because they like throw for like three kilometers and that's not even being propagated. So the test from the Hakavi then pretty much said, well, you know, suggested that, well, okay, like, the speakers again could just as a beam throw for a really long distance but once they've been propagated once they've hit other um, um, materials depending on what they are and the shape of them they could throw even further it's you know kind of crazy <laughs> anyway so I was really happy with that that um, installation I was very very happy It was so fascinating. So it's, it's, it's got a really big platform there, like the Hakavi. I don't know if you've been there. So it's like this really large, like all the way around um, one level of the building where the speakers were. So already it was a massive space just to walk there. And the thing is with this technology and the way you think, like people aren't used to, like you can say, oh, well, you can go all the way, like three kilometers that way and you hear it. They're like, what? <laughs> so yeah, they were just kind of walking around like this within these different spatial rooms. Like it was just iteration after iteration. So you have your first initial beam, you have your first spatial throw, and you would have heard it when you walked through the, the beam at Hethem. That's the first one. Then you get your secondary, and then, you, then it continues. So the, it, it, like there's different spaces, and then of course they're, they're you know, God knows what they're doing. <laughs> refracting and then causing all kinds of other phenomena depending on what frequency it is there's a whole bunch of other you know phenomena happening so the system is just like is very open and out of control who knows what's going on there which I really like so I can't control it once it's out it's out anyway so that was really good and I was very happy and it made me realize like all the other places I could you know, like I want to put them on an island. I really want to put them on an island. I'd really love to put them outside again, even though it's more difficult, but that's, you know, part of it. Inside is also great. Um, I, actually, I don't mind where they go. Probably put them in a really small room one day.
Yes, it has been. I think because it was just the easiest to go to. Like I know how to control it. I know what it does. Therefore, I, I can kind of assume. Um, but with the speakers, I really want to test other stuff. But I'm not so keen. I mean, for me, yes, it was the cello, but more it was the, the cello is just the sound source and the devices change, you know? It's like, well, this device is here and this device is here. But this time I've used the cello for this. This, this installation is really, it's really, it's very nice. It's done what it's doing, it's great. But now I'd like to test some other stuff. But the question is, is it I test other stuff or do I actually invite people who are specialized in certain things to test other stuff? And that's what I'm kind of interested in doing um, in the next little while with them because I have some other projects that I want to do, which don't include the cello, you're right. They're low wave stuff that's picking up stuff that's traveling around the earth anyway. So, um, yeah, the next question is for me, like, well, they can go in a different, I want to put them in, I want to put them on an island. I want to put them in expansive places again. And maybe this is then a matter of like understanding, well, at this place, what do I do? Like, do, do I do the field recording? And then I, I, you know, there's a whole bunch of things to do, but certain things sound particularly good on the speakers. I'm starting to learn because we haven't had that much time to test them because you need a lot of space and you need a lot of time and we have to set them up and it, it hasn't been the most conducive to that in the past few years. Um, so I invited Benny Nielsen, BJ Nielsen to, um, come and work with me was this sanitarium project we we're talking about like for me i've been really specifically thinking like field recording of course is going to sound amazing on these on these speakers i'm actually pretty good at field recording obviously because i learned i mean i this i field recorded myself and the cello and environments a billion times so i um so i have a project that hopefully Benny and I will collaborate on with the speakers. Uh, we also have Mio also built 10 smaller ones. So we have like ones that are actually specifically for kind of smaller inside audition. So they're a bit different. So the idea at some point is to kind of put them all up. So yeah, I went and visited this sanitarium, which is again, like this big space empty space like a small village basically that's basically abandoned so hopefully benny and i will record the spaces the idea was to record the spaces and then resend those um recordings through the speakers throughout the space again how we would record the spaces we're kind of in discussion about like do we use the parables already we record the parables back and when we record the recording of the parables, we'll see. So that again, that yeah. So it's not just random field recordings that are being put in. We're actually planning to send information into the rooms and record the rooms and record the environment outside, and then resend that information back. So what will happen is that is in that installation is you've got like a, a very site specific, I suppose, I don't really like to use that term, but a very in situ situation where you've recorded the sound of the building and then it's coming out again, but in a different way, a sculptural way. But yeah, I think the idea would be that we somehow resonate the space to get something first, but with the parables. Benny was talking about making pulses so we got some resonance, but I mean, the, the, the place is all pretty resonant as it is. So let's see. I mean, it might be that we record and then we resend and then we record and then we resend again because we have two large parables. Maybe by that time we'll have three large parables, but we also have um, 10 small ones. So we will have to negotiate like, <laughs> what what will happen spatially and how that will work um, conceptually yeah in within that environment because it's a very loud environment Benny hasn't been there yet I went but it's yeah it's quite loud as a structure
sounds a bit like Amalusia. <laughs> but it won't, there won't be any live <laughs> feedback. So, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, there's a, this is where, you know, this is what I love to do is like go and test and find out and we'll find, a, we'll find out along the way what will happen. But the initial thing is to use the, the sound from the environment and to resend that sound and see what happens. So it's in a way, it's kind of displacement too. It's highlighting some energy traveling around this place. And I don't mean like spooky energy, I mean <laughs> sounding energy. <laughs> so I imagine there's already quite a bit of um, resonance and reflections. I mean, it's it's like in Oranienburg in the countryside. So we're gonna get heaps of birds yeah, it's going to be like way too much information. I don't know how we're going to negotiate it. We'll find out. But yeah, so that's the next project with the parables. Um, the other thing I was interested in was synthetic stuff. Like it seems that a bunch of very interesting phenomena happens when there's more percussive sounds like beats, when we were first initially testing them in this really big club in Zagreb, the interesting, like, for example, the field recording stuff is great because you're getting this very clear high sounds and in, a, in an environment, it's obviously very, very interesting when you're sending an environment into an environment already. Um, but the other stuff, yeah, is um, how you would use synthetic sounds on the speakers. The thing is like I got, I did a lot of, a couple of people were like, why aren't you using white noise? Like, why aren't you using electronics through these? And one of it was a time thing because I didn't have much time and we were under quite a bit of stress. The other thing was that just the, the behavior of the speakers is they can be quite harsh. I mean, this technology can be a bit nasty on the ears. So you have to be a bit careful. So like synthetic sounds can really, could really be painful. So you'd have to actually do a little bit of work before you then decided to output that. Also just conceptually. I'm a bit embarrassed by them. Yeah, I know this is ridiculous. Sorry, Mary. But okay. Yeah, like they're too, I kind of didn't want them to be black, for example. Yeah, they represent something somehow. They're very, they're very powerful looking, and and yes, they're very clean and it's very professional, in a way. Like they're objects, and I'd really like to hide them. And in fact, Mio wanted to hide them too. It was great that Mio got to the point where he's like, "We we shouldn't have these be seen," but then he said, "But we're not allowed to hide them." <laughs> this is the thing, right? I I wanted to hide them at Hakavi as well. Because then, I mean, you don't need to see them. They're just like, the point is the, like the beams. So I'm hoping in the next iteration of this, we might be able to hide them. So we're just getting the beams. We also have to build a third one because I don't like two. I prefer things in threes, like odd numbers. I mean, we can build lots of them. We already have 10 of the small ones. But yeah, the idea is that they're not seen. So the energy is there without the, the device, the object. Yeah, I mean, in a way, you put something in an environment, you change the environment. It's like I'm adding information to a system, if we're talking in systems again. I'm adding information to an environment. And I really like that, that it's just part of a larger environment. You know, I'm not trying to say, well, this is where I get uncomfortable with this, you know, art galleries and all this stuff. It's like, this is the thing and everyone's expected to, see this thing, I can't hear it, what, what's going on? Like, where, where, where's my experience? Where's my experience? It's like, we're, like the environment, it just, it's, if, we, if we're kind of looking at it in a, in a slightly skewed way, we're just adding information to an environment. How much do we need to add? What needs to be, and, and, yeah, and what, what will change it? And I think there are a lot of things that change in the environment we don't even know 
that maybe if you focused a bit more, yeah, would would change them. I mean, for example, like if I'm putting a certain frequency in an environment with frogs or other, yeah, something's going to happen. I mean, for example, I already did it with humans and some of them freaked out. I mean, that that test I did on the Tempelhofer Feld, people were like, I mean, they don't know where to look. They're just like, what? Like, what is that? They really... And I mean, we put through some cello files and some other stuff and these guys were coming around and said, what are you doing? Because it's actually private. It's part of it's private. So they have security to check that nobody's videoing. Nobody's making film things. They don't care about sound. And they're like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just playing some cello. They was like, well, no, you're not. There's no cello. <laughs> and he's like, and the guy's like, I can't even see anything. So what do you, like, he thought we were mad. There's this high pitch, like, Ooh. but like, if I'm sitting in my apartment, like, I mean, this is where it starts to go into like this sonic weapon stuff. Like, obviously those are very, like, like any speaker can, I would argue can function as a sonic weapon. Um, but yeah, like when you got like a high pitched sound that's in your house, you may not notice it, but after a while it's like, what the, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yes. So yes that wasn't interspecies communication, but it was a very good test that like, if it's going to upset a human, it's going to upset a whole bunch of other animals. That's why it would be kind of good to put it across water. But, but yeah, I hadn't, I haven't got that far. I haven't tested it, you know, but this is, this, you're right. It's like also when you're looking at long waves and the effect they have, that's what was, was kind of fascinating me that people were like, Oh, what's going on here? something's up or you're looking at infrasound in big buildings you know that's, that's the whole infrasound architecture test like where are these vibrations coming from and what effect are they having on people then it starts to get yeah pretty fascinating <laughs> that's where it came from you know like what, what, what's this resonance and how is it displaced displacement in an environment it's entered it's entered it from some somewhere else i suppose you would say like like all energy does um but yeah, if there's a high pitch, it's probably going to upset someone <laughs> or something at some point, if it's like for long durations. Yeah, I really had to kind of push my own and, and try to be confident in my own way of doing things. And yet without, I have to say, without Sonic Axe, I, I, don't, I wouldn't have done it. You know, like without Gideon and, and Lucas and Mio, like, and Anna, like there's no way I would have been able to get this far at all. Like they're, they've been incredibly supportive like I just I set the speakers up and I'm like well this is not just my art I mean, it's not just my work you know it's not just well I did this it was like Mio and I built it Mio did so much work and he killed himself to build those and and Gideon was there that like you know they're, they're all involved and Anna you know drove the speakers and we learned to set them up together you know I, I built those when I had a one-year-old child alone so it's like it's, it's already kind of significant to you. You would just think, what the, what the fuck? 